0: this to my life. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we started a series before I left called Life Beyond <clears throat> Belief. Life Beyond Belief. Now, what I want you to do is I want you on your um, outline, I'm on, inside of your bulletin, there's the Scriptures Uh, And I want you to look at each of these scriptures as i pointed out to you. It's based off Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 3. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus. That's why we call this the book of Ephesians. And who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be... There you go, Steve. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Look what it says, every spiritual blessing. Not a ton of spiritual blessing. Every single spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, not on this earth, in Christ. Now, here's what I mean when I say life beyond belief, because some of you might not have been here. I know Kate and and Gina weren't here the Sunday that I started this. But life beyond belief is talking about this. When you got saved, let's let this pulpit represent the day you got saved, okay? I got saved when I was 10 years old. I do not know the exact time of the year or anything, but I sure do remember the experience of the day that I got saved. And on that day, I put my faith completely in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, how He paid for my sins, and He was my only hope, my only bridge to heaven. I got saved, but God didn't want me to just stay there like many Christians do. God wanted me, He had a new life for me to live beyond that initial belief. And that's what the book of Ephesians is all about. It's life beyond That Jesus has planned for you after your salvation. Now, here's what this is what happened to the Apostle Paul. Paul was a man of faith, he was a Jew. He uh, would be the equivalent of what we would call a doctor of theology. He had his PhD, so to speak, in the Old Testament scriptures. He knew the Bible backwards and forwards. He was a teacher. He was a great, astounding religious leader. But you know what? He was mixed up because he thought that when the Messiah would come, he would be this reigning, ruling king. But he missed this part. The Bible says in Isaiah, he would be a suffering servant first. And Paul, I believe in many ways, had good intentions. He didn't like this... Uh, Jesus who showed up, who claimed to be the Messiah, Paul thought he was a false Messiah. Paul's like, where's our reigning king? Where's our ruling king that's going to kick all the Romans out of here? And this guy dies. And this cult, in his mind, rises up called the Christians, and Paul didn't like it one bit. And in his uh, zealous behavior, began to persecute the Christians. I mean, he was after them. Matter of fact, one time he went to the city of Damascus, and you've heard Paul on the road to Damascus, okay? And by the way, I've been 30 minutes from Damascus. And on that way to Damascus, he had one of the most incredible salvation experiences in the Bible. He was knocked down, blinded, and he heard the voice of Jesus that said this. Saul, that was his name then. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul realized it was the Lord Lord Jesus. I don't know how it particularly happened, but somehow in that experience... Paul understood exactly who Jesus was, that he was a sinner. He needed the grace of God. And listen to this. He realized at that moment he could not put his faith in his Judaism, in his religious pedigree, but he had to put his faith completely in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, his faith was in the wrong place before. His faith was in the wrong place before. I remember uh, at Green Hills Baptist Church where Gail was... uh, one of my youth workers back then. See there, Kate? I mean, she was my right hand person uh, back then. And there was a lady who came to church. Her name was Agnes? Agnes? Gaddy? Yeah, we had a. Um, and she came from Italian descent. She was like 90 years old. And she had been a Lutheran, a Catholic, I mean, you name it. She'd been a member of all these different denominations. And on that Sunday, my pastor was gone, and he asked me to do the Lord's Supper. I had never given the Lord's Supper before. I was scared out of my mind, okay? The first time you do something, you're scared out of your mind. So I gave the Lord's Supper. I mean, I preached a message on the Lord's Supper, gave the Lord's Supper, and lo and behold, Agnes Gaddy got saved that day because her trust had been in being a religious person, being a member of this church, that church, confirmed, baptized, sprinkled, everything, but her faith was in the wrong place. And that day she transferred her trust from trusting in herself to trusting in Christ. That's what salvation is. And so that happened to the Apostle Paul, who's one of the greatest heroes in the Bible. Now what we said about this life beyond belief, many Christians, they get saved, but they just stay right here. We, equi- uh, we, uh, we compared that to walking inside of a church. Right there is the entryway to the church. Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if you enter in, you'll be saved. So picture spiritually, when you walk through that door, you're entering in a, a salvation experience with Jesus. But many Christians, because they've never been taught, and because they don't read their Bible, just stay there. Many for the rest of their life in the entry hall of their Christian experience. And Paul said, no, 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 no. It li- there's life beyond that. You've got to progress And we kind of picture different rooms in this church represented knowing God deeper, experiencing more of His blessings, experiencing more of His power, experiencing more of knowing Him more deeply and deeply and deeply as you go through the rooms of this church. Now there's one fallacy about that illustration. There's a limit to these rooms. (laughs) I mean, you can... Whatever we got, 15, I should count them. Maybe 15 rooms in this church... God has given us an infinite amount of rooms that we can go into after we get saved. Matter of fact, we're to keep going in God's rooms until the day we die. There is life beyond belief, and that's what Paul discovered. I remember, uh, uh, Jay, I made this little plaque for Jay, and, and it has a picture of him. This is the Pacific coast of Nicaragua. He went with me on a mission trip, and by the way, he gave his testimony while he was down there at a Baptist church. And I took this picture of him at the Pacific coast with a little shadow, and I thought it turned out to be an awesome picture, and I titled the picture, A Bright Future because I knew God had a bright future for Jay. And uh, this is a picture of Jay when he was a little baby, and Dr. Adrian Rogers was holding him. I mean, you talk about a priceless picture. That is now. But here is Jay's life verse. I, I have life uh, verses that have changed me, and here's Jay's life verse out of Philippians 1.6. Being, being confident of this that he who began a good work, he who began a good work will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see that? There's life. He wants to begin a good work, that's your salvation, but he wants to carry it on to completion. So the question is, where are you in God's house? Are you still in the entryway of your knowledge of God of His peace and power, His blessings? Or are you moving constantly door-to-door, unlocking different blessings? Now, this church, just like any other building, has a foundation to it, right? I mean, right here, this is the foundation. When you build a building, you start off with a foundation. The book of Ephesians is kind of like a house. And the the foundation of it is in these first three verses. We're, We're talking about this as we begin to cover the first chapter in the book of Ephesians. We said, there's the man who wrote it. These are the four corners of the foundation. The man who wrote it, we spent that last time, the Apostle Paul. Then there are the people who received it. Then there's the reason he sent them this letter, why they need to hear it. And the way to unlock the truths that he begins uh, to teach them. So... Um, those That is the foundation of this house that God wants us to enter. Now Paul, we said, was called to be an apostle. An apostle means someone who is sent out for a special reason. And so Paul was called to be this apostle, he said, by the will of God. And specifically, Paul's assignment was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Basically, everybody in here is a Gentile. Is there anybody here who has any Jewish descent here? Anybody Jewish or descent? Okay, you know what that means? That means we're all Gentiles. Aren't you glad that Apostle Paul started the work of the Gentiles, bringing the gospel to them and not just stayed with the Jews? We're saved by... uh, uh, That gospel message came down through a man by the Apostle Paul. Now, here's what's kind of interesting... Paul was called to go out on three different missionary journeys. I've been on a missionary journey to Peru, where little Gina comes from. I've been on a missionary journey to Haiti, to Moldova, to India, uh, uh, Nicaragua, Honduras, lots of different places. Well, Paul went on those missionary journeys. That's not new. And Paul went on a missionary journey in AD uh, 53... And he went to this city called Ephesus. But he only stayed there two, day, two years at that time. Uh, but later on, he came back on his third missionary journey. And uh, listen to what, what one commentator says about... i want to show you this city and where it's located. Um, on the screen here, I should have got one of Gail's little stick things. Here is Jerusalem right here. And here is Ephesus, this real famous city of ancient times. And so Paul, he went a long way. He didn't, have to, he didn't book Delta Airlines to get there like I'm able to book. <laughs> he had to travel um, a long, long ways to, to, do, to do that. You know, some people think this, that we ought not to, you know, why don't we just take care of needs here at home? Why don't we just funnel all of our money here, right here around Horseshoe, Horseshoe Bend? But you know what? God calls people sometimes to go to the ends of the earth and take the gospel. It's God's assignment, not our assignment. And Paul was sent on these three missionary journeys. Now, what I, want, uh, I want you to see this from the teacher's commentary. A little word about this Ephesus, this city. Moving on to Ephesus... Paul found himself in one of the greatest religious centers, the world's greatest religious center. Not on Christianity, though. This city's life was dominated by the temple and cult worship of Diana or Artemis. Here Paul again taught first in the Jewish synagogue, then when expelled in the lecture hall of Tyrannius, he who apparently was one of the many teachers of rhetoric or philosophy found in the first century cities, Paul rented his facility. Isn't that interesting? He rented a place. I'd never seen that before. He rented his facilities for use when the owner was not teaching. Within two years, the gospel message had such an impact that the business of the silversmiths and other craftsmen which was based on selling religious items, that's trinkets, to tourists and pilgrims, had fallen off significantly. The leader of the tradesmen warned his fellow craftsmen not only of a loss of trade but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis was being discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her of her divine majesty. I'm going to tell you something. The gospel of Jesus Christ can impact culture. That's what it did in that city. I mean, Paul, what God was doing through Paul, began to turn the city upside down. Let me show you. Remember it talked about the the temple of Artemis? Here is a rendering of what it probably looked like. This was a magnificent structure. People would go there and bow before a statue of Artemis, and she was held as the high god of their region. Here's another picture of what Ephesus might have looked like based on archaeology of that day. This was not Franklin Baptist Arkansas. This, was a, this wasn't even Ash Flat or Cherokee Village. This was a huge place, center of idol worship. And here is something, a modern-day picture, of the amphitheater that was used there. Pretty amazing stuff. That's kind of where we get a lot of our architecture today by the ancient uh, Romans. Now in this great city of Ephesus, Paul planted a church. Do you know at one time this church did not exist? And God put on the heart of some men and women that there ought to be a church here in Franklin, Arkansas and it was planted over a hundred years ago, and it's still here today. Well, that's what Paul did. He went around planting churches. Now, when Paul um, left here, he appointed a young man. He won to Christ by the name of Timothy. And this young pastor was pastoring the church of the Ephesians, of Ephesus. And Paul, after ten years... um, After this great revival in Ephesus, Paul was put in prison in Rome for preaching the gospel. And in this prison, he wrote the book of Ephesians. wrote one of the greatest works of God in a prison cell which just goes to show you when you feel like you're in a prison of difficulty and trouble and things are dark, many times God wants to do His greatest work right there. Can I tell you something? Be real honest with you. God does the greatest works in my heart, not when things are going smooth, but when things are going rough. There is something about our human nature. When things are going good, we're like on a bicycle and we can just cruise. But then God takes a stick and puts it in the spokes of the bicycle and boom, we fall over, right? And it's in those times when we crash and burn, we're like, oh God, oh God, I need you. I need you now. God said, I can use you. So that's what happened uh, to the, the apostle Paul. And uh, one writer said this, Paul might have been in a cage, but he was singing like a bird <laughs> because he was experiencing, listen to this, life beyond belief. As uh, Steve was singing those songs, it came to my mind. uh, I I bet the old Apostle Paul, he would would sing a song like this today. Uh, There is sunshine in my soul today, (laughs) more glorious and bright than glows in any earthly sky, for Jesus is my light. Oh, there's sunshine, blessed sunshine, when the peaceful, happy moments roll, when Jesus shows His violent, smiling face, there's sunshine in my soul. I think the Apostle Paul would sing that. Even in jail, people probably thought he was depressed. People thought, well, I bet he feels like a loser now, and Paul's in there just singing, there's sunshine in my soul. Because there's life beyond belief. I think, Steve, maybe he, uh, maybe he would sing today, blessed be the name. He breaks the power of canceled sin. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His blood can make the foulest clean. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through that, as he experienced life beyond belief, he wrote a book That not only impacted a local church, but has been preached for over 2,000 years that can change our hearts today. Now, there's something I want to show you as we take a look at this the people who received it. We talked about the man who wrote it, that was the Apostle Paul last week. Now, let's talk about the people who received it. Remember, this is the epistle to the Ephesians. This is a letter. They read it just like a letter back then. A letter. The people who received it. Now, notice with me this. They were, first of all, a people of separation. A people of separation. Now, in your, uh, on your text there, that base text there, I want you to circle this. To the saints. Circle the word saints who are at Ephesus who are at Ephesus. Now, the word saint does not refer, like within the Catholic Church, like St. Patrick, right? You've heard of St. Patrick. We celebrate that each year. Usually, I don't celebrate it this way, but usually with a lot of beer, and they dye the city of Boston's uh, uh, lake, not lake, but river green. And most people celebrate St. Patrick's Day getting drunk. But St. Patrick was a real man who carried the gospel of Jesus Christ to the country of Ireland. And so the Catholic Church decided to call him and name him a saint, St. Patrick. There was a saint by the name of Francis, St. Francis of Assisi. And so people have this wrong idea that the word saint means this Superhero of church history. But that is not what the Bible talks about. Anybody who has been saved is a saint. The Bible says, listen to this, here's how I know that. Remember Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians who were a nasty bunch. It was a messed up church. They had sin, lawsuits, you name it. It had every problem imaginable in that church. And how did he start off the letter to the Corinthians? To the saints in Corinth. To the saints in Corinth. You may not act like a saint all the time, but if you got saved, you're a saint whether you believe it or not, and you'll always be a saint. Because once saved, always saved. So, you know what you're looking at today? You're looking at St. Jeff. Amen? St. Jeff. Look, right here is St. Stephen. Look, right there, because I know Alexis is saved. I woke you up, didn't I? (laughs) She went, "Mm." (laughs) hmm. That's St. Alexis, okay? Now, back there is St. Dennis. That doesn't sound as good as St. Jeff and St. Stephen and St. Alexis, but there's old St. Dennis back there. Hey, St. Dennis, how are you doing? He's waving at me right there. But the truth is, he is St. Dennis. Because if you're saved, you're a saint whether you act saintly or not. Let me show you what one writer said in the Bible exposition commentary. The word saint, here's what it means. It means one who has been set apart. It is related to the word sanctified, which means set apart. When the sinner trusts Christ as his Savior, he is taken out of the world and now he is in Christ. That's the repetitive phrase in the book of Ephesians. The believer is still in the world physically, but not of the world spiritually. I like this illustration. Like a scuba, scuba, scuba diver, he exists in an alien environment because he possesses special equipment. You have to have special equipment to go into the ocean or go into a deep lake. In this case... The indwelling Holy Spirit of God is, in this case, it's the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. Every true believer possesses the Holy Spirit. And it is through the Spirit's power that the Christian is able to function in this world. Now the word, this is not just in the New Testament, it's all throughout the Bible. Uh, This idea of God's people are to be a separate people. Look in Leviticus chapter twenty, verse twenty six, in there in your bulletin. I'm going to ask you to uh, underline some things. <clears throat> the Lord said to those ancient Hebrews, "You must be holy, because I am the I am I, the Lord, am holy. I have circle this set you apart from all other people." To be, circle this. My very own. Do you get the idea, Paul? I mean, uh, um, the God said to the ancient Israelites, "Listen, from now on, you're to be different. You're to be set apart. You are in a new sphere from other people who are living at that day." That's what the word saint means. He called them to be saints, and of course, in the New Testament, look at Second Corinthians six seventeen. Remember who he's writing it to here. He's writing to a church that's playing footsie with the world and footsie with the devil. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, Therefore, underline this, come out. That's that idea of being from their midst and underline this, be separate. Says the Lord and underline this, do not touch. Don't cross the line, what is unclean. And then, look what he says here, I will welcome you. Underline that. So you see that? God says, listen, when you got saved, you are no longer what you were. I have called you aside, and now you're my possession, and I want you to progress through this life and be separate from the world around you. Now what I want to do is I want to show you, as we continue in this message Three ways in which we're to be separate from the world. Can I use the phrase three ways in which we're to be different from the world? I heard someone say this. I like it. You have to be different to make a difference. We have to be different from the world if we're going to make a difference. And so look what uh, we see here. First of all, we're to be different from the world in its values. In its values, value of course is what they deem is important. Now, look in Matthew six thirty-two through thirty-three, and uh, Jesus is talking about people who are concerned about what are we going to eat, what are we going to uh, wear, and they're worried about all this provision. And here is what God said to the believers: Matthew six thirty-two through thirty-three. Why be like the pagans, that's the unsaved, who were so deeply concerned about these things? So their, their heart is on the things of this earth that they need. Your heavenly Father already knows your needs, and He will give you all you need from day to day if you live for Him and make the kingdom of God your primary concerned. And so lost people are concerned constantly with the things of this earth. And the the Bible says, as Christians, we're to be concerned about the things of heaven, the afterlife, prophecy, the end times, all those kind of things. That's where our head ought to be. All right, now take a look here. Listen to this. I wrote a few things down. The world says, in which we live, here's the philosophy of the world. The world says, live for self. Get all you can and sit on the can. (laughs) Amen? I mean, that's what the world teaches, just live for self. But yet the Bible teaches, die to self and you'll truly live. The world says, live the American dream. The Bible says, live for the will of God, whether you get the American dream or not. The world says, get even. Pay people back. If they hurt you, you hit them back. If they hurt you, uh, hurt them back because they deserve it. They don't deserve forgiveness. So hit them back, whatever way you can. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, forgive them 70 times 7. That's 490 times. That does not mean on 491, then you can sock them. (laughs) It means that you're just to keep on forgiving them, keep on forgiving them, keep on forgiving them. We are to be different in that way so people can see it. So is that your values? Are your values what you deem to be important to things of this world? or the things of God. We're to be different from the world's values. Then we're also to be different from the world's behavior. Not just what we think is important, but in the actual way we act. We saints need to act saintly. All right, Look at what the Bible says in Ephesians 4.17. With the Lord's authority, let me say this, live no longer as the ungodly do, For they are hopelessly confused. That is, their mind is twisted because of their fallen nature. And God says, Paul says, don't live like you used to live. Your behavior ought to be different if you are a Christian. Uh, Deuteronomy 18 verse 9 uh, uh, God tells the the ancient Israelites, when you arrive in the land the Lord your God has given you, be very careful, watch this, not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. And so in those nations, there was idol worship, there was homosexuality, um, there was lesbianism, there was even um, baby sacrifice in those things. There was even, God forbid, you think our world is bad? In those nations back then, there was even bestiality. As Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. (laughs) This is a wicked place and God's told them, don't do those things because I want you to be different. I want you to be a set-apart people. I want you to be saints. So when those people in those nations look at you, they're like, they are a different People. And you know what happened to them so often? They started imitating the people around them. They started bowing down to, to idols. They started burning their kids in a sacrifice. They started doing all these detestable things of the land. You know what God had to do? God had to chastise them so they would go back and be a separate people. And that's what God wants to do uh, in, in our lives. You know, one of the things that we tried to do when we were raising my son Jay was we tried to let him meet godly men and telling him, these are the real heroes. People like Adrian Rogers and say, these are the real heroes. Jay used to listen to a guy named Joseph Stoll. I don't know if you remember him on the radio. We actually met him one time. I got a picture of Jay and Joseph Stoll. Uh, Jay has met John MacArthur. I got a picture of Jay and John MacArthur. Okay, and, and uh, Jay liked to listen. He started listening to a man by the name of Tony Evans. I don't know if you ever heard of Tony Evans. How many of you heard of Tony Evans? Anybody heard of that? Okay, he's a black preacher, awesome preacher uh, on the radio, and uh, I'll never forget when Jay was five years old, we got him a cassette tape set of Tony Evans' sermons, and I'm telling you, here's what he did. Tony Evans! He got that for Christmas. You know why we did that? Because we didn't want the idols and the heroes of his life to be ungodly people. We wanted the heroes to be godly people. Can I tell you something that's really important? The heroes of many of today's kids are some ungodly sports figure or ungodly rock star or ungodly actor that's their heroes and can i tell you something let me t- uh, let me tell tell you this we ought to put before them godly heroes that's why cade okay, you will like this youth workers are very important because they need to see examples of the christian life they need to see role models they need to say so and so is my hero. And people up close like that can make much a much greater difference than people far away like rock stars and stuff like that. So it's very important that people see the behavior of someone who's a godly person. And so we're to be different than the world's behavior. Look, here's why we're to set up godly people in front of us and godly examples. Look at what the Bible says in Psalm 115.8. Those who make idols will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. Whatever you see is a hero in your life, it, it, you will become more and more like that hero. And so that's why we've got to have godly heroes so that they can show us that we're to live different from this world. Now finally, I want you to see this. <coughs> We're to be different than the world's speech. We're to talk differently than the world. We're to uh, say things and react differently in our speech from the world. You know what the world says? The world says when somebody does you wrong, then you just criticize them. Can't believe they did that. When you don't like somebody, what do you do? You talk behind their back. And you're acting like the world... When you're at the store and the line is too long, you complain. When you don't get your way, you make a big stink about it. That's the way the world talks. The Christian ought not to talk that way. I remember uh, when I lived in Calhoun, Georgia, there was a local bank there. And this time, the bank made a mistake. Usually, you know how it is when, you, when you're when you like your checkbook and balancing and you think you've got a certain amount of money and the bank said, no, you don't have that. You're 150, uh, 200 in the hole. And you're like, ah. And so you check. You're like, that ain't right. That ain't right. And so you check your bank account and you discover, well, they're right. Usually they are right. But one time something happened that was the complete opposite thing. The bank cheated me out of $150. I forgot what the the specific ex, uh, thing was, but they they made a mistake. I could prove it that they shorted me $150. And I remember being upset about that. And I remember bless God I'm going to go in there and straighten them out. <laughs> I'm going to tell them, "You owe me $150. I I can prove it." But it was like the Holy Spirit said to me you can win this battle but you'll lose your testimony and so I just decided to take the hit you know I'm like well Lord my Christian testimony is more important than me getting in their face and telling them how they're wrong and how they owe me $150 because at first they said no they didn't and so I was going to go back and I was going to prove that I was right but the Lord just told me back off It's not worth your testimony. Now, watch what happened here. They cheated me $150. Keep that number in your mind $150. Not long after that, I did a wedding. And usually, when you do a wedding, the bride's family, usually, the the bride's dad will come over, over to you and he pulls something out of his pocket. And preachers begin to say, oh, hallelujah, I see something coming out of that pocket, okay? (laughs) He shakes your hand, and in that hand is a check, usually, okay? And so I'm real spiritual. Here's what I do. Oh, thank you. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Not expected, but certainly appreciated. Put it in my pocket, walk around like nothing's ever happened. I get in my car and, let's see what that check says. (laughs) All right, so they gave me a a, a check, a a check of appreciation. But then this was totally uncustomary. Never happened before, never happened since. The father of the groom came up to me and put some money in my hand, and it was $160. I believe with all my heart because I obeyed the Lord. And didn't get my mouth involved in it. God rewarded me. He not only gave me a hundred, He not only paid back the 150, He gave me 10 more dollars. God paid me back with interest. You know? Amen. And and so God says we're to be different in our speech. Now here's what I want to to ask you. Look, look at Colossians 4:6. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Look at Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. Can I tell you and be honest with you, my values are different than the world's values. My behavior, most of the time, majority of the time, is different than the world's behavior. But the part I struggle with sometimes is my speech. You know, the Bible talks about that uh, the hardest thing to tame is the tongue. And so lately I've really said, Lord, tame my tongue, tame my tongue, put a guard over my mouth. Because listen, I want to be different to make a difference. Three closing questions. Are your values, the things you consider very important, different than the world's values? Is your behavior, the way you act and treat other people, different than the world's behavior? Is your speech, the way you talk, different than the world's speech? Now why is God so concerned about this? that our values are different, that our behavior is different, that our speech is different, because He wants us as saints to act saintly. And when we ain't act saintly, guess what Jesus said? Let's let's look at that last verse there, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it on the basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You ever heard that little song, this little mind of mine, I'm going to let it shine? It won't shine if you have the world's values, if you have the world's behaviors, if you have the world's speech. You are putting your light under a bushel so nobody can see it. Can I tell you why this world is so dark? It's because Christians aren't shining the light. And God said, one way that we do that is that we become... Saints who act like saints, people who are set apart to be different, to make a difference. Let's bow in a word of prayer.